Welcome to season three and another episode of Electrify This, a podcast focused on the movement to electrify everything as a key strategy to decarbonize and revitalize our economy. Each episode, I connect with experts to explore the policy and market issues underpinning the shift to electrify transportation, buildings, and industry. I'm your host, Sarah Baldwin, Director of Electrification with Energy Innovation. Today's episode, National Leaders on the Future of Climate and Electrification. It is so great to be back with you all at the start of 2023, and we have an exciting show for you to kick off the new year. It is not often that you can get a U.S. senator, a U.S. congresswoman, and a vice president slash former Biden administration official to line up their schedules, but I lucked out, and we have an all-star lineup for you today. And because of tight schedules, we're going to do this show just a little differently than we normally do. The first part of our show will feature a conversation with one of our special guests, Senator Martin Heinrich of New Mexico. And for the latter part of the show, we'll speak with Congresswoman Kathy Castor of Florida and Kelly Speaks Backman of Invenergy. Now, these three national policy leaders will offer their reflections on the year that was 2022, their insights on what the Inflation Reduction Act means for states and for the average American and climate, and their thoughts on what's in store for climate, clean energy, and electrification in the year ahead. And what better way to launch the third season of Electrify This than a conversation with three incredible energy experts and thought leaders. So without further ado, let's get started. I am honored to have Senator Martin Heinrich on the show today. Senator Heinrich, welcome to Electrify This. Oh, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, it is great to have you. You've been a senator of New Mexico since 2012. Prior to that, you served two terms in the U.S. House of Representatives. And in your time in the Senate and the House, you've done so many incredible things. Going over your bio would likely take the better part of the time we have together. So I will forego that. We'll link to your bio in the show notes. Um, But to kick us off, I'd really love to hear a brief origin story. Uh, What led you to want to serve your country as an elected official? You know, it's it's an interesting story about how a moment in time really can impact someone's direction in life. But when I was studying engineering at the University of Missouri, Columbia, uh, I kind of got to know Mel Carnahan, who was running for governor at the time, just on a very superficial level. He used to come and speak to college Democrats. Uh, this was a point in my life where I was uh, part of a solar car team that raced across the United States from Dallas to Minneapolis. And years later, after I'd been living in New Mexico, I woke up one morning to realize that his plane had gone down the night before in a storm and that uh, Mel Carnahan had passed away. And it really made me think about the importance of people running for office, that you, you know, young people need to run for office to gain the experience, to then become, uh, to bring their expertise and build that over time. So it was really that moment that inspired me to think about running for office and led to me running for the Albuquerque City Council. That's awesome. And from there, your career just uh, kept growing. And now you sit in the Senate, which is uh, an exciting place to have a job. (laughs) 2022 (laughs) was certainly a whirlwind. Which is always true. (laughs) Yeah. 
Certainly a whirlwind of a year on so many fronts last year, uh, but absolutely on the federal policy level. I, th- I feel like it was one of the first times in history where people were really paying close attention to what was happening at the federal policy level, and especially the Senate. It was obviously a historic year for climate and clean energy and electrification legislation. Curious to get your candid thoughts. What were your top highlights of the year 2022? Well, I think both highlights and, and sort of lowlights until we finally got a deal was all of the negotiations around the Inflation Reduction Act. And when I think about how I came to Congress, I got elected in 2008. I was sworn in in 2009. Um, we got one bite at the apple right at the beginning of uh, 2009 uh, with the Recovery Act at the time. And that started, you know, sort of scaling the wind and solar industries. But there wasn't a lot of policy between early 2009 and this last year. And um, and so the Inflation Reduction Act really represents in many ways the last decade of policy thought on how to decarbonize our economy. And now looking forward, we're going to be doing that work at least for the next decade. Um, so the IRA just represents so much of what myself and some of my colleagues have been thinking about for the last last few years. Yeah, it had to be so satisfying to finally see all those ideas, or most of them packaged into one huge piece of legislation that does so much, not just for climate and clean energy, but for people and for households and um, businesses. And I mean, that's, that's really the exciting tale that we have to uh, shout from the rooftops at this point. Um, one of the other exciting developments of 2022, which was maybe less uh, less in the headlines, but certainly important and something I was paying attention to, was this formation of the Bicameral Electrification Caucus, which you helped co-found along with uh, one of our other podcast guests who will be joining us later, Congresswoman Kathy Castor. Tell us a little bit more about the goal of this caucus, how it's going so far, and what you see on the horizon for the caucus in 2023. Yeah, it was a really fortuitous time when, you know, Senator Tina Smith, myself, um, Chair Castor, uh, Representative Tonko, all decided to form a caucus to just try to um, try to push forward policy around electrification and try to educate our colleagues around electrification. And so, you know, early in my career, some of the things that made it into this legislation Uh, can be traced all the way back to 2009, 2010. And what it meant to decarbonize at that time is really different than what we know now, having the the full last decade of developments in technology and really the things that we know we can do now with heat pumps and heat pump water heaters and induction stoves that were not necessarily... um, the go-to technology 10 years ago. And so this caucus has really been key to both educating people around, you know, what is the state of the art today and how do we make policy to help people take advantage of uh, that state of the art technology and decarbonize their homes and their businesses. Great. And you're Absolutely correct. I mean, the advancements in technology have really made it easier for the average American and average business to plug in, literally and figuratively, to the climate movement from their homes and from the choices they make day to day, which I think is just so empowering. And uh, of course, 
you know, a lot of challenges still remain and we've got to tackle those. But uh, the focus on electrification, I think, is a really exciting time. Um, are you confident now going into this uh, next Congress that the caucus will be a vital and active caucus? Do you think there are going to be changes made or do you care to pontificate on, <laughs> on the future? <laughs> I think there's a there's a lot still left to be done and we're going to be... Uh, you know, it, it's going to be a much more challenging uh, Congress to pass policy in. But when you have something as big and robust as the Inflation Reduction Act, with so many pieces and parts, including the electrification rebates that we are able to make sure we're part of that, um, that leaves us a lot of work to do with the administration in the implementation of all of those things making those rebates really easy to access, um, you know, getting good, good rules in place for all of the, the tax provisions, the tax credits for heat pumps and things like that. There's a lot of implementation to be done here. And, you know, this is, a, uh, this is an administration right now that listens to Congress. And so we're going to be very active in making sure we get good rules of the road right out of the gate so that we can get the most um, easy to access, easy to use implementation of many of these things that we were working on. So I see a lot of opportunity for the caucus to be very active in the coming years. Well, that's great to hear and certainly a great forum for education, uh, as you state. And you segue nicely into my next questions, which focus on this implementation of Inflation Reduction Act. And you know, for our listeners, of course, step one is passing the legislation that took the better part of two years. Steps two through ten are forthcoming, and this is you know everything from federal administration uh, rules coming out and guidance from the likes of Department of Energy, Department of Transportation, EPA, uh, down to state level implementation and. State state energy offices and governors and legislators having to take action. Within your state of New Mexico, are there specific efforts underway that you're really excited about that can gain momentum in 2023 and beyond with this new support available in the Inflation Reduction Act? Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the New Mexico is a state that has been doing energy as the main core part of its economy for a very long time. Uh, and so historically, we were a state that produced coal. We were a state that that was is still very involved in the oil and gas industry. And now we're a state that is leading the way through the, the energy transition. And so making sure that things like the, the opportunities for grant funding to reduce methane leakage are taken advantage of, that DOE is talking to our environment department here in New Mexico, um, that legislators are able to build state policy on top of those federal policies and that we make sure it, it's all integrated in a way that consumers and homeowners and business owners can access, um, I think is all going to be really important. So I have an ongoing dialogue with legislators here. We have a, a good dialogue going with uh, some of the different agencies within the state administration, all to be able to try and maximize the resources that are available from, um, from this legislation. And I think people are starting to realize because some of the things that are built into this legislation, like the tax uh, provisions, are, are so much more predictable than we've ever had before that the 
impact of this bill may be even quite a bit bigger than what the CBO or the Congressional Budget Office thought it would be. Um, you, when you have 10 years of tax policy and it's consistent, that is dramatically more powerful than doing one-year policy and then extending it year by year for 10 years. The uncertainty in year-by-year -year policy, especially on taxes, really constrains financing. And what we have here is a decade to be able to attract capital. And I think the opportunities that that affords are really quite staggering. Yeah, I really could not agree with you more on that point. I've been doing clean energy work for the better part of going on now 23 years. And yeah, just seeing the fits and starts of clean energy, renewable energy efficiency, uh, distributed generation, just having to fight every two, three years just to stay in the game, uh, you know, really puts not only tax and finance at a disadvantage, but just businesses and people trying to make decisions about hiring and jobs. So hopefully we'll also see a surge in uh, hiring and jobs and job creation over the next 10 years. I'm, I'm counting on it. I'm sure we will. Um, great point about you know being in dialogue with, with all the leaders in your state. What message do you have about the IRA that, that you might share with other leaders and other government officials not only in your state, but in, in all states, really, that may be kind of not sure how to approach the IRA or not sure how to kind of take most advantage of this new suite of provisions? I think one, just the, the message of like, reach out to your, uh, your, your federal delegation to help you understand specifically what's in there and then how that can be integrated with state offices and state policies. And I think number two is like, we also want to work together with labor unions, with uh, career technical vocational institutes, with universities, um, and with contractors around workforce issues. I mean, the, the demand that this bill is going to create for first electricians, but also, you know, uh, carpenters and plumbers and pipe fitters is going to be enormous. And so we need to start doing the training now to make sure that uh, that we have the workforce to be able to implement this this legislation, especially at the individual home and business level. Absolutely, and uh, I think DOE will also be playing a really integral role in workforce training and um, education. So getting in touch with DOE representatives is also a great place to start. Absolutely, you bet. Um, how about for the average American, uh, you know, Joe Schmo, who's thinking, oh, my furnace is about to go out or my water heater is about 15 years old. What message do you have for them uh, who may not be at all familiar with the IRA for that matter? You know, I, I think uh, there are organizations that are already doing a really good job of sort of previewing some of the things that those those individuals are going to be able to take advantage of in their own homes. And so go out on the internet and, you know, look at some of those groups like Rewiring America and others have, have created whole pages to figure out like what's right for you. What pieces of this might you be willing to take advantage of? And, and then think about what the word that you used was empowering, because if you do care about climate or you just want a really comfortable house, we are going to have rebates in place that allow you to, uh, when you have that furnace that conks out, replace it with the latest, most advanced heat pump available. 
and and for low and moderate income folks have some real uh, ability to do that for the cost of of you know the the less effective technology. So I think these rebates are really some of the most consumer facing pieces of all this. And you don't have to do it all at once. You know, start wherever you are with either you know what happens to be breaking, or you know start with the small stuff and work your way through it. Um, the things that I've learned is that so much of this technology is just a better mousetrap. <laughs> it is the leading edge. And if you're somebody who cares about technology and enjoys learning about it, this is a great framework for how to do that and for how to bring resources to bear so that you have a, a healthier, more comfortable, less carbon intensive home. You said it. Yep. Well, I know our time with you is short today, but I have just a couple more questions and then I'll let you go. Um, I know you mentioned earlier this year and and the next two years may not be as big of the kind of policy years as they have been over the last two, but are there any interesting policy ideas you're looking to explore in the years ahead? And what are you feeling about the ability to get some stuff done um, in this new Congress? One of the spaces where we may have some uh, some runway to be able to still do good policy is around transmission and permitting reform. Those are places where there are you know there are interests in some of those things on both sides of the aisle. And as our grid changes, and as you know, people are buying more and more electric vehicles, more and more electric appliances, heat pumps, et cetera. That's going to drive you know demand on the grid. That we're going to have to meet, and so finding ways to still have, you know, the same level of environmental review, but maybe get to an answer, whether that answer is yes or no, uh, faster than we currently do, I think is going to be really important to being able to meet our climate goals, and really important to do the kind of economic development and create the jobs that we all want to see as part of this transition. Yeah, the transmission permitting, and I would add to that interconnection challenges on the yes. on the horizon are well big, said. and they need to be tackled yeah. quickly, uh, for sure. To not only get this uh, huge build out of clean energy underway, but to ensure that it's not going to be more costly and more time intensive than it needs to be. And uh, there are absolutely opportunities to streamline that process. So hopefully, there will be some good bipartisan policy here in the coming years. Uh, well, Senator, it's been a pleasure to speak with you and uh, really appreciate your time today. Any final thoughts or words of wisdom from an elected official for our listeners today? I think it's a really exciting time. Uh, we have a, a lot of the solutions that we need to make this transition and to stay, you know, keep our, our planet uh, within the temperature band that that we all want for a great future for our kids and grandkids. And so there's a place for everyone in the implementation of all of this. And so, you know, like just spend the time to figure out how you fit in and, uh, and lean in because we, uh, we have an opportunity to, to make an incredible contribution to the future of uh, our country and our planet. 
Couldn't agree more. And uh, really appreciate your leadership, not only on electrification and clean energy, but on climate and uh, just in general for for being such a great spokesperson for all of these important issues of our time. Uh, Thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure and I look forward to staying apprised of all the activities in the forthcoming Congress and the Electrification Caucus, of course. And uh, have a great rest of your day. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Thanks, Senator. Next, I am honored to introduce two other incredible guests of the pod, two female leaders in energy and policy, uh, one of whom I've known for a while and the other I had the chance to meet in 2022. First, we have Congresswoman Kathy Castor, representing the 14th District of Florida and also the former chair of the House Select Committee on the Climate Crisis. Welcome to the show, Representative Castor. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. So great to have you. Next, we have Kelly Speaks Bachman, Vice President of Public Affairs with Invenergy. And most recently, Kelly served as the Deputy Assistant Secretary of the U.S. Department of Energy's Office of Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy. Welcome to the show, Kelly. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here, Sarah. It's great to have you. Uh, I always love Department of Energy titles. They go on and on and on. (laughs) They're very impressive. Um, now it's actually it's actually even longer than what you said, but we won't waste any more time on that. Case in point, <laughs> and I believe you. Uh, now, both of you have really impressive and lengthy bios. I'm not going to read them because we don't have time, but I'll post both to the show notes. Um, and in the interest of time, I really want to dive into our discussion. Uh, and I'm going to start with you, Representative Castor. Before we dive into some of our reflections on the year past and the year ahead, I'd love to get a little bit more of your origin story. And if you could just tell us a little bit about how you got into public office and really what led you to want to serve your country as an elected official. Yeah, thanks. I'm a native Floridian and I've always loved the natural environment, whether it's the Florida beaches, the forest and the wetlands. Uh, My parents were in public service. Uh, So I've always loved public policy as well. So those kind of combined uh, to drive me towards uh, law school. And I started my career enforcing environmental laws on behalf of the state of Florida and then uh, served in local office, the Hillsborough County Commission here in the Tampa area, where I chaired the Environmental Protection Commission. And uh, then I was elected to Congress in 2006 and have focused on clean air, clean water, uh, public health, and was tapped by Speaker Pelosi uh, in 2018 to lead the Select Committee on the Climate Crisis. Wonderful. Well, a long career of environmental interests and now policy, which are great synergistic activities in my mind. Uh, Let's talk a little bit more about the House Select Committee on the Climate Crisis. Uh, as you said, it was active for about four years. And at the tail end of last year, in December of 2022, the committee issued its final report. And of course, uh, four years of hearings and testimony and topics of discussion that had to have been a lot to cover. Uh, It was also intended to be sort of the follow-up from the committee's original action plan, which for those unfamiliar, really laid the groundwork for the Build Back Better Act and then subsequently the Inflation Reduction Act. So can you just tell our listeners a little bit more about the significance of the committee's work under your leadership during those four years and then highlight a handful of the key takeaways that are most meaningful to you from that follow-up report? 
Yes, it was clear at that point in time we were in a climate emergency and needed to develop a plan of action for the Congress to act. And back then, you may remember that there were uh, youth climate protests happening in the offices of members of Congress. Uh, there was a lot of frustration. Uh, the, the President Trump had taken America out of the Paris Climate Accord. And meanwhile, we were falling farther and farther behind. So Speaker Pelosi, you know, known as the most effective speaker of the House in the history of the Congress, she uh, brought back to life a select committee on the climate crisis, similar to the one that Ed Markey uh, led over a decade prior to that. But this was different because it, we knew that uh, we had to engage everyone if we were going to make any progress at all. So we we began by broad outreach across the sectors of the economy into the faith community, into youth climate activists, labor, business, uh, you name it, and sought their input and tried to knit together the pieces of the climate movement to that could get something passed through a, a divided Congress. And in 2020, we issued our Climate Crisis Action Plan. It was a very lengthy and detailed action plan for the Congress. And in our year-end report just a few months ago, we were able to um, explain that out of the 700 policy proposals that were contained in that original action plan in 2020, we passed over 450 in the House and enacted over 300 of the important policy provisions into law, many contained in the Inflation Reduction Act and in the uh, bipartisan infrastructure law, but also in various appropriations bills, in the uh, National Defense Authorization Act, every opportunity that we had uh, in the Congress while the Democrats were in the majority, we took it to take climate action and the stars aligned when President Biden was elected. And even with a 50-50 Senate, uh, we were able, because of the coalitions that we had built along the way, to to make great strides. And now uh, we're, we're just couldn't be prouder that it was the United States of America that finally acted, enacted the largest investment in clean energy and climate action in our history. Yeah, such an incredible story. And how are you feeling with respect to some of those takeaways from the final follow-up report? And how do you see those translating and or informing what comes next to, to see implemented here in the next few years? Really, it's about the implementation mm -hmm. of the Inflation Reduction Act and uh, bipartisan infrastructure law, really starting by putting money back into the pockets of our neighbors through clean energy, more resilient communities, uh, cost-effective uh, energy-efficient appliances and buildings. And we're going to, it's going to be a heavy lift for the Biden administration. But fortunately, there are um, people across America know that we have to act now. We have to act with urgency. So there are partners at the local level, whether it's a city or county or a nonprofit agency or some of our utilities. Everyone knows that now is the time to move to cleaner, cheaper energy. Uh, 
In fact, we're running out of time if we're going to make progress on avoiding the worst impacts of the climate crisis. Yeah, time is of the essence, absolutely. And uh, are there specifics that you see as part of this implementation that you're eager to work on with either state leaders or uh, the current Congress? The, the electric grid, America's electric grid, is outdated. We've got to modernize it. We've got to get the renewable resources up and connected uh, to the grid. And then transportation. It's been so fun to watch the excitement over the new uh, electric cars and trucks that will be rolling off the assembly lines. Everyone is, is interested, especially after the gas price spikes of last year after Putin's um, invasion of Ukraine. Uh, so folks are hungry for, they're hungry for dollars back in their pocket, lower, lower costs. But how do you save money through clean energy? And then the adaptation uh, piece of that is very important as well. There are communities across America that have carried the burden of pollution. Uh, they've been marginalized and uh, thanks to the Inflation Reduction Act and, and the Biden administration, a lot of the resources will be targeted to those communities that have often felt left behind. Yeah, there's so much in there, and it's it's such a great cross-cutting segment of policies. Um, in your own state of Florida, are there any climate or policy efforts, clean energy policy efforts underway or on the horizon that you're excited to see gain momentum in 2023 with the new support now available through the Inflation Reduction Act and the infrastructure bill? I hope that Florida can unleash the power of solar energy. They call us the sunshine state, <laughs> but we've, we've lagged behind when it comes to tapping uh, the free and abundant resource of the sun. They're here in the state of Florida, we're overly reliant on front gas to produce energy, and it shouldn't be that way. That means that our neighbors and small businesses, well, businesses large and small and, and neighbors, when you have a price spike over gas, they have to pay more. And I think people are now uh, quite attuned that there is a, a better future, and that involves bringing those renewable resources uh, online. Absolutely. And I was just speaking to Senator Heinrich of New Mexico, another state with abundant sunshine and so much opportunity for growth in the renewable energy sector. Um, he was also really excited about electrification, as I know you are, Representative Castor. You uh, helped co-found with him and others the Bicameral Electrification Caucus. And I'm curious, do you have a sense of what's on the horizon for the caucus in 2023 and beyond? What are you guys going to uh, focus on? I love it. The electrification caucus, we, you know, it's very popular. We <laughs> now have over 50 members of Congress that are part of it. Wow. And they are hungry for implementation as well to take those major vi victories for energy efficiency and electrification back home to reduce pollution and create jobs. And they know uh, combining the bipartisan infrastructure law, things like the the nationwide EV charging network with the new discounts and investments to electrify homes and buildings and appliances. Uh, the, everyone, it's kind of a race. Who can be the most effective? Who can trans help translate this into real benefit 
uh, for their communities back home. So there are a lot of conversations going on about how we implement and, and draw down those dollars right away. Well, that's an exciting race to be a part of, and I'm eager to see how all the states move forward. Um, we'll talk a little bit at the end of the show about uh, kind of advice on the IRA implementation, but I want to pivot to Kelly. And uh, now you just recently transitioned from your role as acting assistant secretary with the U.S. Department of Energy, and now you're with a private company called Invenergy. What are you most looking forward to as you transition back into the private sector and kick off your new role, which just started like a couple weeks ago? Yeah, it's um, it's it's a lot of fun. There is so much to be done, as uh, Representative Castro so well uh, stated earlier. And I have to just start off by saying what a, an incredible honor it was to be at DOE during one of the most ambitious eras for climate and energy legislation in our history. Um, there were a lot of important policies and foundations um, that were set by Congress, thanks to the leadership of Representative Castor and others. And, and the ball was handed off to DOE and the administration's other agencies to implement, um, well, gosh, you know, just there was the IRA that was talked about before. There was the Chips and Science Act. There's a lot of good stuff in there. And the bipartisan infrastructure law, which uh, fair, fair to say it was uh, in 2021, but funded in 2022. We um, also set up that new, for Department of Energy, we set up that new infrastructure side, the uh, Undersecretariat of Infrastructure at Department of Energy to enable this sort of faster deployment to decarbonize the economy. We jump-started the appliance standards program again. There was just so much fun and just amazing things that are continuing to happen um, at, at, at the Department of Energy. Um, and so that was a lot of fun. And now there's a lot of work to do to build on these foundations. And I'm really excited to do this work within Venergy. It's an exceptional time really in our history to be in clean and renewable energy. And, and, and Venergy has a track record of, of getting stuff done. Uh, in the last 20 years, they've They've developed more than 30 gigawatts of clean, sustainable energy projects, and, and they're looking at, at, at significant growth even from there. Um, they've explored and advanced new technologies, emerging technologies all along the way. They're in energy storage, which you know, Sarah, is uh, near and dear to my heart. Mm -hmm. I think it's an important element of modernizing the grid, as Representative Castor said. Invenergy is also doing long-distance transmission uh, most recently, uh, looking at the hydrogen market and entering the hydrogen market. Of course, there's the they're a major player in solar and wind, but they also are looking at like offshore wind. And we have two new lease areas um, on either side of the country. So this has been really just it's an amazing transition to make to take that next step that I where I can contribute and and do some good in the world. I, I want to do that, and I will say. Representative Castor talked about, you know, uh, involving communities, and and I have to say I've been really impressed with Invenergy's work and approach to community engagement and making sure that that no one is left behind. I think uh, it gives a sort of a personal satisfaction uh, to us all when we're making sure that 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 environmental justice communities and communities that have. Uh, historically been disadvantaged are uh, being brought along with us in this transition. Yeah, absolutely. And we've touched on that topic throughout uh, the last two seasons of Electrify This, and it's such an important place to continue to focus 
Um, Kelly, you you have a unique perspective on the potential for the Inflation Reduction Act to really unlock America's clean energy uh, potential, as you just articulated. And you definitely have a little bit more visibility than the average person on what we might expect from DOE, given your background, given your time there, and kind of what the energy industry might pursue to accelerate the clean energy transition. So can you provide us a little bit more insight on what you see as the implementation process and what opportunities you see for new technology and new markets? Yeah, um, it's so interesting because, you know, I have been part of the uh, private sector in the past and and now with Invenergy, um, part of the federal government family, um, having just uh, been with DOE, but also state government. And this really is an all-in effort. Um, I have never in my almost 30-year career now seen such a concerted effort um, on decarbonization of our grid and our economy as I do right now. And so it's really, really exciting. Uh, Building out our infrastructure, um, as was mentioned earlier, modernizing our grid is really going to be super critical for making sure that we can deliver on the promises of what the IRA lays out. Um, And what what that means is we're going to need more energy storage to, to serve for grid reliability and resilience solutions, right? To accelerate this transition. We're gonna need new transmission infrastructure to be able to support additional renewable penetration to get the power from where it's generated to where it's needed to be. Um, it's a really unique time, not to repeat myself, but just this is where when, when public opinion and federal and state policy and private capital and expertise are pretty much generally aligned on, on, on getting this done and what needs to get done. There still needs to be, you know, implementation um, details worked out. That's why we're very eager to see a lot of the guidance coming out of the agencies and, um, and making sure that we get this right because this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Um, we just really need to capitalize on this moment. Absolutely, and... Um Senator Heinrich, earlier on the show, talked about the importance of state leaders connecting with their federal delegations to make sure they're understanding all the multiple provisions that might apply and how to get the money and how to get the money flowing quickly. And, Mm -hmm. you know, all of that, of course, requires a lot of uh, coordination at the state level and even down to the local level. Um, I'm curious, in the work you'll be doing with Invenergy, are you all... uh, already starting to engage with state leaders and kind of have those conversations as someone from yeah. the private sector. Yeah, absolutely. And and I would say we're we're coordinating and have been coordinating at the state level for just even the ongoing everyday work, right? Right? Um, not just the opportunities, but trying to remove the barriers so that when these opportunities uh, are open for for private companies like mine to compete. To, to get that money, that we're ready to roll. Like we also, uh, and, and what I mean by that is making sure that at the state and local level, uh, permitting and siting um, is, um, is, is ironed out, frankly, um, so that we can deploy, 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 right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's, a, there's a lot to be done. And so that's why I think it's, a, it's an integrated approach to policy. This isn't just... Uh, the federal government uh, making laws and then 
making the rules around it. It's also then a handoff to the state levels and to local levels. And then it's for the private industry to actually go in and implement this work. Um, it's got to be closely coordinated or we will, again, miss this opportunity for what is really an urgent crisis of our, of our climate. Yeah, 100% agree with you there. Um, Representative Kester, I'm curious from your standpoint as a congresswoman, uh, obviously you're in communication with state leaders and other government officials in your state and your home in your uh, beautiful sunny state of Florida right now. Are you starting to have some of those conversations and what are you hearing from uh, from elected officials and others in your state? Are they excited about the IRA and, and eager to move forward? You bet they are, especially here at the local level. They are they are ready and willing to do it. And uh, in fact, the mayor of Tampa, uh, we are planning a big new community center in uh, East Tampa here. And the resilience officer and the mayor said, "You know what? Those Inflation Reduction Act tax credits for solar will help them save a million dollars on that type of project." Wow. So think about that happening all over the country. And one handy uh, reference for all of your listeners, the White House uh, Climate Office, led by John Podesta a couple weeks ago, put out a policy guidebook because all of these tax credits are vast. They're detailed. Some flow, yes, through the state, but many of them flow directly to nonprofits or or. Um, or local communities, um, and, and it will be it'll be tough to keep track of what's coming out of Department of Energy, what's coming out of EPA, what's coming out of some of the other agencies. So the White House was smart to kind of start with an overarching guidebook. Uh, so I, you can get that on the White House website if you look under clean energy and climate. Great resource. And rather than uh, send people on a Google mission, I will just go ahead and post that link in the show notes and you can find it there. Um, yeah, there are so many resources coming out, not just from uh, the White House, of course, but nonprofits, local governments, coalitions of industry, private sector, and public sector, all trying to kind of parse through the different moving parts. And there are a lot. So <laughs> all information is good information as long as it's trusted and verified. Um, so I'm cognizant of our time. I knew this would be a really short conversation with two bright women. I would love to have a full hour with each of you, but um, just to kind of transition us to the to the final set of questions. Um, we've talked a little bit about 2022. We've kind of forecasted a little bit of 2023, but I'm curious to get more of a, a kind of snapshot uh, response from each of you. I know we've talked a lot about IRA, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say that's not. Uh, you can't say IRA was your favorite moment of 2022. <laughs> uh, for each of you, what was your top energy-related highlight from 2022? And Kelly, I'll start with you. Oh my gosh, and I'm not allowed to say IRA? No, I know, I'm making it hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, um, you know, one of the things in 2022 that was so fun and not a lot of people talk about was, you know, not just the big picture stuff, the 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 idea that we jump started once again the appliance standards program mm -hmm. at Department of Energy because that's going to impact people's lives as we're going through this you know winter cold I'm in Chicago right now so not in sunny Florida but like <laughs> so cold is top of mind for me right mm -hmm. now but as we're going through this knowing that there is 
um, knowing that the appliance standards are being um, uh, moved forward at a fast clip so that people can save money on their everyday heating bills and, and cooling bills in the summer, especially down in there in Florida is just an, just an amazing, exciting time. So like that kind of thing in 2022, we saw a massive acceleration and that was really cool. Um, I would say another thing in uh, 2022, there really was a sea change in public opinion. And maybe that started, yeah, before 2022, but it just became common understanding that we need to do something about mm-hmm. making sure that we put less, you know, greenhouse gases up into the air so that we can make the world safe for our children. And I think that was a really incredible moment for those of us who have cared about clean energy for all of these decades. Yeah, absolutely. That message definitely was resonating and it was compounded by so many horrendous and devastating events, wildfires and weather-related events that uh, you know people start to pay attention when it's literally in their backyard and affecting their lives. Yeah. So good, bad, or otherwise, the message is finally hitting uh, home. Um, Representative Castor, how about you? What was your top energy-related non-IRA highlight from 2022? <laughs> you know, the, the, the day after the general election in November, we left for the... International Climate Conference in Egypt. And that trip finally arriving uh, with something in hand of all of the progress that we made over the past few years, finally saying not, not only had America rejoined the Paris Climate Accord, but we had taken action yeah. to uh, adopt and hopefully give, give people you know, create some momentum, give them hope that we can do this. And America has an outsized responsibility Mm -hmm. to act. And the world's top scientists say we are running out of time. We have a rapidly closing window to avoid the worst impacts. And folks understand this now more than ever. They are paying more. And it's not just the natural disasters. It's just their plain old uh, air conditioning bill during the summer Mm -hmm. or, or some other extreme event. And now, now we have hope, and it's going to be—it's uh, incumbent upon all of us now to to take action and make these make these policies work. Absolutely, that had to be so satisfying and, and give you so much pride to to be able to show up to such a high profile event and have such a suite of solutions in your back pocket, so to speak. And these are solutions that tackle multiple problems simultaneously, which is even more uh, empowering. And um, yeah, so exciting. And do and do it through, you know, creating American industries. Yeah. Uh, Kelly was right to highlight the Chips and Science Act, building our manufacturing base, creating those good paying jobs, providing uh, not just hope for cleaner air uh, and tackling the climate crisis, but for good paying jobs and careers, family sustaining jobs. Absolutely. Well, my top energy-related highlight from 2022 had to have been testifying before the House Select Committee on the Climate Crisis. It was really fun. I love that, Sarah. <laughs> <That's> cool. <laughs> it was, it was a great, great experience. And uh, thank you so much again for that invitation. Um, okay. On the horizon, 2023, we are now underway. And I would love to get a brief response from each of you. What are you most excited about? We've talked about a lot of things that are coming, uh, but what are you getting most excited and jazzed about? Kelly? 
Oh, um, there's a lot to be <laughs> jazzed about um, with so much going on with the implementation of the, the laws that we were talking about um, that were recently put into place. And really now is the time to like, it doesn't sound very exciting, but to me, it's just amazing. Like the, the idea that we're going to make sure that the guidance and the regulations and all the requirements to implement these laws are specific enough to be actionable. But I have to say also flex flexible enough to encourage innovation mm -hmm. in the private industry. Um, like I expect, for example, with the hydrogen hubs funding, there's going to be quite a lot of innovation proposed from a lot of different players across the country. And I think that's kind of the fun stuff. Like, yes, there's going to be acceleration of the, the bread and butter, solar and land-based wind that, that happens in terms of deployment, but also working through the details of how to jumpstart the offshore wind industry and the hydrogen markets. Uh, we're really bullish about those opportunities there. And that's what I'm excited about for 2023 is some of these newer technologies really taking hold. Yeah, it's it's a very exciting time for some of these technologies that have been a long time coming. So it'll be, it'll be neat to see how they uh, accelerate and really become more mainstream. Uh, Representative Castor, how about you? What are you most excited about working on in 2023, especially now that you've well, got a speaker in place and you've got a functional Congress <laughs> to work within? <laughs> well, Sarah, now that Kelly has, has laid the groundwork on, we're going to clean up the grid and expand renewables. I think right here on the ground, watching, uh, anticipating the transition on clean vehicles, whether it's mm -hmm our new investments in the U.S. Postal Service fleet, the, you know, converting delivery, uh, all those delivery postal trucks to EVs, same with other fleets. Many private companies are moving that direction. They have been. The cars and trucks of the future people are so excited. And they're, now they'll get a tax credit to make them more affordable. And that tax credit includes help, of course, for used mm -hmm. EVs. So we'll start to see this enormous transition, electrifying school buses, cleaning up the air that our kids breathe. You know, this isn't all going to happen right away and, and just this year. But I'm so excited to watch the beginning of this with an eye towards the future. Um, one where, of course, cleaner air, we make up for for communities that have long carried the burden of pollution and then fostering American innovation. So we make these things in America. Yeah, same here. I think this uh, combination of incentives for domestic supply chain and batteries and manufacturing is such a game changer for the United States. I mean, we could have sat on our laurels and you know let other countries provide us with these technologies, but instead we said, no, we are going to make sure that this clean energy transformation is going to benefit our communities and uh, bring economic development. So I'm, I too, am very excited to see what plays out in that space. Um, okay, couple final questions and then I'll let you both go. For the average American hoping to benefit from the IRA, what message do you have for them? And Representative Castor, I'll start with you. Yeah, it's going to be important to see, kind of do a, an energy check uh, in your own life. Uh, you need to weatherize your home. There may be help for you uh, to do that. Are you looking to, do you have a small business that's in that, uh, in that sector? Boy, there's going to be enormous opportunity there. Or are you in the market for, for a new car or truck? That's, there are going to be a lot of choices if you 
put it off a year or two, there'll be even more choices for that. Do you want to investigate lowering your electric bill through solar panels on your roof if you live in a community? Can you ask your electric utility, what are they doing now to move to cleaner, cheaper energy? Uh, you're not alone in this. Everyone is in this the same boat. And ask your uh, elected officials and right there at the local level your nonprofits, what are they doing to take advantage of the cost savings and innovations uh, in the recent policies adopted out of Washington? Great recommendation. I love it. It's a good uh, cocktail party conversation starter, too. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Kelly, how about you? Uh, For the average American. I think um, Representative Castor said it perfectly. Just watch out what's in it for for you. Um, You know, I just... I just recently got my own electric vehicle. It was so cool. Um, and I went to my state um, energy office um, uh, website and I found out that I could get money, a significant amount of money off for installing um, a charger. And as well as like, like I know now for this year's taxes, I'm going to get a tax break on that. So just, I would say for the average American, whatever you're thinking about, that uses energy, which is pretty much everything that you, that touches our lives. Like, find out what opportunities there are to save money for it, and you just win even better. Absolutely. Um, well, I am going to wrap us up because I know you are both very busy women, and uh, just want to ask for any final thoughts or words of wisdom for our listeners today. And Kelly, I'll I'll let you have the the first go. Thanks, Sarah. I just, I would say um, uh, for those folks who are listening to this podcast, strap in. This is going to be quite a ride in 2023 and the the next several years. Um, And I would also say um, that that one of the exciting things about this industry growing so rapidly is that we are pulling, you know, from a workforce set of folks that aren't nor that haven't in their past been involved in energy. So seeing this sort of these new perspectives and these uh, uh, new folks coming into the clean energy industry is just really exciting. So if you're thinking about it and you're listening to this podcast because you want to know more about it, I would say jump in. This is good. There's a lot of opportunity in the clean energy space. There's a lot of people hiring. Absolutely. We're hiring, actually. <laughs> Energy Innovation so we, has so. a ton of jobs on our website. Uh, hey, I'm hiring, too. Hey, look, see? <laughs> Case in point. We are creating jobs as we speak. Um, Representative Castor, final thoughts, words of wisdom for, your, for the listeners today. Well, Sarah, first, thank you so much for the opportunity to be with you and, and Kelly. And Kelly, thank you for all of your work. I'll look forward to, to collaborating with you. And Energy Innovation really helped us set the table uh, years ago uh, to what we needed to, to do across all the sectors of the economy, across all the committees in Congress, and uh, a lot of work from people all across America help pull this together. And now we just have to continue uh, to, m- to make progress, to help solve the climate crisis, create good paying jobs, build healthier, more resilient communities. And I, I agree that the momentum is on our side now. And um, I hope people share that sense of urgency and can commit to doing more in, in this new year. 
Here, here. Uh, very wise words of wisdom from you both, and I really appreciate the time today. And thanks so much for being a guest of the Electrify This podcast. Sarah, thanks thank so you much. so much. Hey, thank you. Electrify This is an Energy Innovation original podcast. Energy Innovation is a nonpartisan energy policy firm delivering high-quality research and analysis to help policymakers and regulators pursue a decarbonized energy future. You can find more about Energy Innovation and the podcast at energyinnovation.org forward slash electrify this. And please continue to subscribe, follow, give us a review wherever you get your podcasts and help us expand our reach and impact and please tag us on social with hashtag electrify this. Thanks, as always, to our sound engineer, Rowan Stigner, and the audio in in Salt Lake City. And as I mentioned, uh, we are hiring. Energy Innovation is hiring. We have a number of job openings, and you can find all of those, and I will put it in the show notes, at energyinnovation.org forward slash careers. Encourage great folks to apply and look forward to uh, seeing your applications. So thanks again for listening. I am your host, Sarah Baldwin, and you're plugged in to Electrify this. Thank you.